0: Chapter 16, Matthew 16, beginning at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, and remember, he's on the way, or they're at Caesarea Philippi, they're traveling north. I pointed that out before. If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In fact, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, We'll find it. Can we just get it out in the open? We're going to talk about it again as we get closer to the passion later, but what is a cross? Not. I don't mean figuratively in this verse. I mean, what literally is a cross? Oh, literally. It's a brutal tool of execution that the Romans used a lot. Well, I, want, I want more of a physical description. It's wood. Yeah. Brad, can you give me dimensions of a cross? (laughs) Probably made of wood that we would call 4x4s. Okay, or something a little bit bigger than that. A 2x4 is not going to hold a guy. So probably 4x4s or something bigger. Um, And uh, uh, generally speaking, a very simple joint to attach the cross piece with with the, the, with the rest of the cross. Um, it might have been a mortise. although I've got a feeling that, that even that might have broken. Um, but, uh, and, and because wood decays, we don't have any examples that have follow, you know come down to us in time. And the Romans were also constantly perfecting it. When I was at the seminary, I worked in the rare books room. You think that's a good place for me? Yes. You want me to go back? No. Okay, well... I did. I lived there. I was a little miserly kid, uh, uh, you know, translating uh, mostly. Um, my friend, uh, um, his nickname was Kolovis, he did the, the uh, German and the Latin, and I did the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Phoenician. And we, we also had what we called the freak show with languages we had never heard of before. Weird loopy, scrolly things that turned out to be Armenian and things like that. But we still had to catalog them and talk about their, you know, publication year and so forth. I had the horror, pleasure, horror, pleasure <laughs> task of cataloging a book uh, that was pretty old. Um, probably, I'm I'm thinking nine, uh, 18th century. 1700, 1720, 1730, it was a book with woodcuts, drawings of all of the different kinds of crucifixions that were known in literature and history. So beginning with a simple pike um, where a person would just be impaled on a stick and put up in the air, uh, to variations on that that I won't go through with you now, but... Head up, head down, sideways, all kinds of things. Um, and then variations on the cross piece. Was it a Y? Was it an X? Was it a T? Was it something a little bit different? Was it upside right, upside down? Did it have a, a piece going up from the top? Uh, or didn't it? In other words, was it a, a, an English capital T? Or was it an English lowercase T, which would be the bigger cross? And why would you have that piece sticking up? to nail something to it, usually with a record of the charges, like Jesus had. Um, Death by crucifixion is maybe best explained by a stoplight. If you stop here in town or anywhere at a stoplight, and there's... uh, You know, uh, maybe some of you know those folks who drive those really big trucks... You know, a big, uh, 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 can hardly be called a pickup truck anymore because it's so massive. And uh, when he peels out, leaving you far in the, in the dust when he, when he goes, um, what comes out his tailpipe besides smoke? Especially in, no, especially in town. Water. A stream of water. That's coming from the engine because water is one of the byproducts of the internal combustion engine. That's why you're, you're, you were told back in your driver's ed days, if you had them, like I did, that you've got to take your car out on the highway at least once every other week and get up to highway speeds for a while. Otherwise, what happens? Your exhaust pipe will rust. The water has to get out of the car. So you have to get on the highway sometimes. It's what the car was designed to do. In-town driving is murder on a car. Um, especially when you get water combined with salt in the wintertime and it's just, you're just begging for rust. Um, and the same thing is true of respiration. One of the byproducts you see in the mirror if you breathe on the mirror, you know, when uh, you know when when you, when you're gonna leave your husband a note in the mirror in the in the in the steam and you draw the valentine with love you honey you know I won't be home till nine there's a pot pie in the freezer or whatever note you 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 do um, that kind of a note is there because water vapor is a product of breathing well when you're on a cross the Romans discovered. That if you nail the guy's hands out so he cannot move them, you can't get the water out of your body properly. And so the byproduct of breathing does not happen. So where does the water go if you can't exhale properly? Stays in your lungs. It never leaves your lungs. So ultimately the crucifixion is death by drowning. Yeah, the water stays there. And what happened when they... Uh, stuck Jesus in the side with a spear, out came a flow of water and blood. Yeah, I had a catechism student who grew up in a different denomination, who just maybe two weeks ago, he called that a miraculous flow of water and blood. And I and I told him the Bible doesn't say that was a miracle. It just says it happened. I think it was a physical flow of water and blood. We walked it through, and he looked at me like, am I in the right church? Because he had been brought up to think that that was miraculous, because I think because that pastor probably never studied anatomy. You know, that's just what happens. Um, And there's no if the Bible doesn't call it a miracle, should I call it a miracle? You know, there's that tightrope that you walk sometimes too, which incidentally, if I, know, I know I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but I've, I, know, I know that some people complain that in the newest translations of the Bible, we no longer capitalize the pronouns for God's name, like, and he said, the he isn't capitalized and things like that. Um, well, it's not always clear if that is God or not in a sentence. And it's convention in modern English not to capitalize pronouns at all. That's not a a faith uh, wrenching or faith ending uh, grammatical decision. It's just the convention that we do. And incidentally Hebrew and Greek didn't differentiate between capital and small letters when the Bible was written. That wouldn't have occurred to the authors of the scriptures. So it 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 doesn't have to bother us. I know that some people are bothered by it and and they're troubled by it. But it, it, it even lends itself to, in the Bible, when you get the word spirit, are you talking about that individual's soul or the Holy Spirit inside them? And in some passages, it's completely unclear. Which one do you do? Well, as a translator, you have to make a choice there, but usually the other one is in the footnote you know, depending on how you take the passage. Okay, um, so uh, a cross, just uh, uh, to, uh, to sum up, is, yes, a wooden instrument of torture, a terrible thing, terrible death, um, taking many, many hours, sometimes days, for a person an individual to die. Um, Jesus describes it here in more figurative terms as any burden that you carry. You're going to pick up this burden which if it goes far enough may kill you. But what will, what will happen? Jesus will help us to carry our burdens. So Jesus says in fact whoever wants to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Anything further there? He keeps going actually in the same point. After all Will it benefit a person if he gains the whole world, but forfeits his soul? How much wealth and riches, if you were king of the world, uh, but you've lost your soul, it doesn't make any difference at all, does it? No. Or, Jesus says, what can a person give in exchange for his soul? What's the actual answer to that question? It's a rhetorical question. But what's the answer? Nothing. 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 So, um, you answer the question posed by the Charlie Daniels band. When The devil went down to Georgia and he was looking for a soul to steal. Right? Don't make me sing the whole song. Because he was in a bind and he was getting behind. And yeah. So, can, can, can a person actually sell their soul to the devil? No, you can't. Are you going to tell the story about the guitar player or something else, Beth? Yeah, but I'm, I'm talking about literally. And there is a, a story. Yeah, that's the guy. He's an actual guy. In the movie, O oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, which is about Homer's uh, odyssey. But, uh, but in the movie, the guys are in the 1930s uh, or early 40s, and they meet a guy who is like the world's greatest guitar player who complains in the movie that he sold his soul to the devil, and now he's this great guitar player. He's going to be a great guitar player. And that's a legend based on an actual person. That, that that actually happened. This guy, he he didn't claim he had sold his soul to the devil, but people were suspicious of him because he was so fantastic. In the very earliest days of, of, of recording records, this guy made all these blues records and he was amazing. And nobody can beat him. Yeah, um he 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 left Jimi Hendrix in the dust. Um and it was just an amazing guy. But I didn't know I was going to talk about that, otherwise, I'd have his picture on the screen, or the actor's picture on the screen, anyway. But no, a person can't give anything in exchange for his soul. It's your soul. You are judged according to your faith and not according to a deal you made with anybody. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father together with his angels, and then he will repay everyone according to his actions. You see any angels in that picture? This is by Michelangelo. It's in the Sistine Chapel. Who do you see with Christ evidently taking part in the last judgment? Mary, Mary mostly. And then people who are listening to the judgment. But that's, uh, that's Mary who is so coyly looking away um, in uh, Michelangelo's work there. It's always bothered me. Uh, that she's there but Michelangelo was a good Catholic and when did Michelangelo live same as Luther da Vinci Michelangelo, Luther, Erasmus they're all contemporaries all those guys yeah. but the judgment will come do you see Christ's hair there modest haircut what color is his hair Is it blonde there? It should it should look a little bit more, according to Michelangelo, more red. And that's supposed to be a laurel wreath, a victory wreath, and the high part of his hair there. Yeah. The odd thing about Michelangelo here is that he has the victory wreath, I believe, backwards, so that the model he was using wouldn't keep dropping it. But... Never mind, let's just go on. Amen, I tell you, last verse of the chapter. Some who are standing here will certainly not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Um, There are a couple ways to take that. Mainly, um, I think what we have here is the resurrection. So the guys uh, around Jesus, most of the apostles would be witnesses to his resurrection along with others. Yeah. Anything on chapter 16? Let's move up the mountainside. Here's chapter 17 of Matthew's Gospel. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up onto a high mountain by themselves. Most of the mountains in Israel would not be called high mountains. Um, there would be a couple. One high mountain, we're told about in the Old Testament, is the, the really towering mount on the other side of the Dead Sea, where Moses is buried. you remember the name of that one? Nebo. Nebo, very good. Mount Nebo. Um, the other good candidate, besides Mount Carmel which is a very high mountain on the coast, is the one way up north, Mount Hermon. Um, And that's kind of it. Mount Tabor, not all that tall, although it's said by some to be the Mount of Transfiguration. I wouldn't call Tabor, though, a high mountain. If even I can walk up Mount Tabor, um, and that, you know, it's uh, probably not that great of of a hill. But Jesus goes up with Peter, James, and John, And leads them up this high mountain by themselves. What mountain it is doesn't matter really. What happened on it is what matters. There he was transfigured in front of them. Transfigured? His appearance changed. Not just his clothing. But probably something else in his appearance. May have been his face. That changed. But he was radiating. It was hard to see him. Um, Very bright. That's a pretty good painting of of, uh, at least depicting theologically what was going on. It's hard to see him because he's so shiny, right? Pretty challenging thing actually to paint, believe it or not. And there with him are two other men and the three apostles who are there. His face was shining like the sun. It is difficult to look at the sun. His clothing became white as the light. So very bright. Very, very bright. Um, If you've ever seen the moon, even, in a crescent, where it's close to the sun from our perspective, and you aim a telescope at it, even the moon can be so bright that it's hard to distinguish anything on it. Um, Very difficult. So, Jesus is transfigured. Before them, his clothing became white as the light, flashing, another gospel says, like the white of lightning. A very, very bright light with internal light and hard to look at. What is that bright light? What do we call that? The glory of the Lord. Now, uh, I'm going to share some things with you from August Pieper about the glory of the Lord. And one is, I'm going to put it in quotation marks because on the one hand, the glory of God in heaven is his glory. But when we talk about the glory of the Lord... I'm talking about a phenomenon that happens here on earth from time to time. And so I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm just going to leave it in quotation marks in this slide to make, make it clear that I'm talking about that, about the manifestation of God on earth and not his actual glory in the throne room of heaven. It'll, I don't know what we'll see there. Um, there is a, a, a question, will we see God with our spiritual sight, or with our physical sight, or will it be both? Um, I don't think it would be physical, but not spiritual sight, but how will we see God in heaven? Um, That's a question for another day, and a whole different set of passages. Um, uh, But we're just talking about how God showed himself, revealed himself here on earth. There are probably four most famous instances of the Showing of the glory of the Lord. What's the usually we call it the earliest one where the glory of the Lord turns up this brightness and God's voice? Beth. When he's on the mountain or when he leads them by a cloud? Because a of miles, I, I think there's one before that, a smaller one. Oh that's long after. We're coming to that one. You've, you've, you've correctly identified two of the four. The other one I would just say is the burning bush is the first one probably. Brad, did you have a different one? Well, that was the one? Yeah, the burning bush and then the manifestation of God on Mount Sinai and that becomes the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that follows them around for 40 or leads them around for 40 years. Then we have, um, I believe, the one at, at, in, the, in the nativity story where the glory of the Lord surrounds them and they become sore afraid. Um, And then this one at the transfiguration. Um, There are others, but these are kind of the big four. Um, And the glory of the Lord. Um, And what do we see in the glory of the Lord? First of all, it is, um, in its own way, a complete image, or as complete as it can be for us, for mortals with eyes that we want to hang on to and not have them burned out forever. You know, if the sun were suddenly to come and land on earth, for one thing it's m- much more massive than the earth, it would squish us and so forth, but you'd be you'd all, we'd all be blind and so forth. But it is a complete image of the true glory of God. What is that glory like? It's just hard to see. Second, it is the absolute and infinite transcendence of God over all creatures um, my whole life I have been obsessed and delighted by birds and there are a couple of birds I would love to see I have seen some of them once or twice the the massive uh, 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 pileated woodpecker it's the size of a crow it's just enormous. It would break my bird feeder if it ever landed on my bird feeder. I pray that it doesn't, but it would be really cool. Um, and, you know, it's that you know, if you've seen in an old movie, like a guy holds up his arm and a hawk lands on the arm, that woodpecker would be bigger than that hawk. It's just, they're just enormous. Um, sometimes in New Ulm, we have the pleasure. Have you ever had this yourself? We were driving down Broadway, and there's a bald eagle racing you right next to the, you know, sometimes right with your window and sometimes just above you, going down. I'm always like, watch out for the poles! And, you know, you, you, the, the eagle's smarter than I am, but it's marvelous. And, um, but to see some of these birds, we are the only continent, apart from South America, where the hoopoe doesn't come. So that amazing orange and black zebra-striped Indian chief headdress bird that was forbidden from the Jews from eating, the hoopoe. It it goes to um, Africa, Europe, Asia. Occasionally, it makes it all the way over to Australia. And because of its proximity to Africa, hoopos show up in South America sometimes. But never North America. We don't get hoopos, but it would be really cool. That splash of orange and, and uh, black and white and so forth. Um, but even those birds, spectacular as they are, they don't show the transcendence of their kind over creation. They're not radiant like that. But Christ shows this, or the glory of the Lord shows it. This is something different, something way beyond um, what we're used to. Um, and then God's all dominating power. Um, the glory of the Lord made the apostles realize God's authority. And so it was also for them an emotional experience, not just a visual experience. Um, And then at the same time, his infinite grace, because when you approach God's holiness, um, I have the sensation in my mind of equating this with the feeling of a bug to a bug zapper. The closer I get, the more likely it is that I'm going to get Disintegrated, yeah, killed. and But by, by God's grace, what does he say to Moses? Just take your shoes off. I, I'm, it's going to be okay. Um, and so forth. And his all-consuming holiness. God never sets aside his holiness. Even in Jesus' state of humiliation. I was writing about that this morning. Some of you heard me recording it. Um, there are all kinds of things Jesus set aside in a state of humiliation, he never sets aside his holiness. It's He can't. He just can't. And then uh, the symbol of his absolute sovereignty. This is, when the one you're looking at is hard, just hard to look at, you know where the power and the authority and the mightiness is coming from. This is God. Um, and when the manifestation appears... It is also a proclamation through an act. And this was the genius of my, hi, I'm honored to call him my colleague and predecessor, but uh, 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 Professor August Pieper, who noted this through his careful study of this phenomenon, that it is a proclamation, a sermon in, a, in, an, in, an, in an action. First of all, the Lord is there present in a special manner. Where the glory of the Lord is, the Lord is. Make sense? This is his glory, almost as if it, the glory, the light, the cloud, is there to what? To protect us from his all-consuming, I'll call it bug-zappery holiness, um, if I can. Is zappery a word? I just used it and you understood it. That makes it a word. Okay. So, the Lord is present in a special manner. Um, He's about to go into action in a supernatural way. Something's about to happen. Burning bush, what's about to happen? I'm going to rescue my people out of Egypt. Yeah. Um, Pillar of cloud shows up. Pillar of fire for the first time. I'm about to lead you through the Red Sea. And then the glory appears on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. I'm about to give you my law. Um, And then the shepherds see it in the the bowl of the valley in Bethlehem. And uh, and what does that tell them? Christ is becoming incarnate right now. Um, and, uh, And here, Christ is seen on the Mount of Transfiguration. The glory of the Lord is there. What's about to happen? It's the forgiveness of sins is about to take place. We're coming to that in point D, but let's get to point C for something. No, no, this is point C. Something that otherwise is not revealed, but is very momentous, is taking place. This is Christ about to leap down the mountain. How did I put it last time? As if he's climbing into a radio flyer, little red wagon. He's going to zoom down from the Mount of Transfiguration all the way through Israel and up Calvary onto the cross. That's what's about to happen, is that that event is what's about to happen. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.